Praise team, thanks for leading us in singing this morning. Great, great songs, great lyrics to contemplate, great voices, church, great voices singing the praises of our God, extolling the grace of our God and the mercy of our God. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Thank you all for your prayers. Surgery this week went well, and I'm grateful for a church family who has in so many ways contacted us and said, hey, we're praying for you, we love you, we're, we're concerned. God has been gracious in this and we're excited about uh, meeting together. We've been, I've been excited all week about meeting together right now to do celebrate Lord's Supper and to uh, celebrate with the Watson family, uh, what a great family they are and uh, celebrating Nora's baptism together today. What a great opportunity it has been to be with the church family. Thank you for being online with us. If you're not, uh, if you weren't able to be here today, uh, we're glad that you could tune in this way. Um, Church, excited about what God is doing and excited about our focus today being on the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done in the cross and the resurrection. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you were faced with a difficult road, but you took it anyway? Maybe it was a conversation. Maybe it was a conversation that you knew had to happen, but it wasn't going to be easy. You just weren't looking forward to it. Or maybe it was a decision that you knew you had to make, but it was going to have some consequences that were not going to be easy for you to have to deal with in the aftermath. Or maybe it was a change that was going to have to be made. You were convinced of that, but it wasn't going to be well received by other people. When is the last time there was a difficult path that you had to take, but you chose to take that path anyway? I respect people in life who make decisions that are obviously not driven by self-preservation or driven by comfort but those decisions are driven by the desire to seek the Lord, the desire to serve the Lord, the desire to bring glory to the Lord. Unfortunately, this is so uncommon in our world today. In fact, most people are preoccupied with self-preservation. Most people are preoccupied with their own personal comfort. I recently read about an assault on a busy subway in a major city here in America where no one stepped in to help the victim. No one bothered to do anything to help the atrocity that was happening right next to them. They just didn't want to get involved. They just didn't want to be inconvenienced. They just didn't want to uh, put themselves in harm's way. And all of this happens right in front of them. Now, compare that to an incident that happened just about a month ago in Indiana where there was a 25-year-old pizza delivery guy who was out making a late-night delivery and noticed that there was a house on fire and saw some movement in the house and went into the house at his own risk and saved four people from burning in that fire, brought them outside and saved them. Now, there's a stark contrast between living for the sake of someone else and living in a way that shows it's not about us and living for our own self-preservation or our own self-comfort. Today, as we look to the text in Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16, we're going to see Paul's 
resolve to follow the Spirit's leading, even if it meant difficulty and pain. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper together, we're going to be reminded of our Savior and how the Lord Jesus declared, not my will, but your will, Father, be done, even unto his death. So let's stand together and let's read in Acts chapter 21. Verses 1 through 16, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, Luke, writing about the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left. We sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For our... I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Will you pray with me? Father, today we have longed to be in your presence. Today, Father, we long to hear from you. Lord, as we sing your praises and as we enjoy the love and the unity that exists in this church family, we say thank you because it's through Jesus Christ that it's possible. We say thank you because it's in Jesus that we have hope and that we have life. And we say that you are worthy of all that we are and all that we have. Today, Lord, may we reflect upon the attitude that says it's not for me and my glory, but it is for you and your glory, Lord. And with that thought in mind, would you transform us? Would you change us? Would you make us more like our Savior, like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. And you may be seated.
So last week we were at Miletus and the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the elders there of the church of Ephesus. You recall that that he didn't want to go back to Ephesus and get delayed there because he wanted to be in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost so that he could celebrate there but be part of the festival and so forth. And, and so he says goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus and he in a sense is instructing them on how they are to be about ministry, on how they are to do ministry. But I want you to recall the reason that the Apostle Paul was headed to Jerusalem in the first place. Okay, flip back to Acts chapter 19, if you will. Acts and chapter 19. Now this is the third missionary journey that Luke records in the book of Acts. And much of the journey happens there in what is called Asia at this point. And it is in the city of Ephesus. So Paul will stay for about three years in the city of Ephesus. And then in verse 21 of Acts chapter 19, uh, Luke writes, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. So Paul had been in Ephesus for three years. He decides because he feels led by the spirit. He resolved in the spirit. He felt that the spirit of God was leading him to go back to Jerusalem. But before he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to go to Macedonia and then to Achaia. He was collecting an offering there from the Gentile churches so that he could bring it back to Jerusalem and give to the impoverished church there in Jerusalem, the primary Jewish church there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So that's Acts chapter 19. So he goes, he goes to those cities, he goes up into Macedonia, goes down into Achaia, down into Greece, into the Corinth area. And then he learns of a plot of the Jews. He was going to get on a boat there and sail all the way across to Phoenicia and then go down to Jerusalem. But he learns of a plot of the Jews and this delays him. So he decides instead of getting on that ship, I'm going to go back up through the region, back down to Asia, past Ephesus to Miletus, and that's where we were last week, and he says goodbye to the leaders of the church there. But here in verse 21, excuse me, chapter 21, he's getting on the ship, and he is headed now to Jerusalem. So, friends, the first thing we need to see is that God wants you to be fruitful wherever he has you. God wants you to be fruitful wherever he has you. It's very likely that between Acts chapter 19, verse 21, and Acts chapter 21, verse 1, there's over a year that passes there. We know where Paul wants to get, but we know that Paul has several stops along the way. So what we see is that wherever God has us, wherever we are, God wants us to be fruitful. If Paul's in Achaia, Achaia, then he's going to speak and he's going to live the gospel. And if Paul's in Macedonia, then he's going to proclaim Christ. And if Paul is in Asia, Paul's in Ephesus, he's going to love the people and he's going to point them to Jesus Christ. Friends, God is in the details. God is in the details of your life. Hear this. It's not just that God has you in Amarillo. He does. That's where you are right now. God's in the details. But it's more than that. It's that God has you at a specific school, at a specific high school. He has you on a specific athletic team. He has you in a specific band, in a specific orchestra, in a specific choir. Why? Because he wants you to speak and live the gospel. It's not just that God has a job for you. No, it's that God has you at a specific company, a specific job, working with specific people. Why? Because he wants you to be his witnesses wherever you are. 
it's that God has you in a specific and a particular family. Doing what you do, taking care of aging parents, homeschooling your children, loving your spouse. Why? So you can encourage people in Christ. So you can point them to Jesus. God is in the details. Friends, we read through all the details of even just this trip here in these first several verses of Acts chapter 21. We went by this city and this city and then we saw Cyprus and we passed it on the left as we were making our way here. Why the details? Because God is a God who is over the details. And he is concerned about the details of your life. He's concerned because he loves you and he cares for you, but he's also concerned because he has commissioned you and he has empowered you to be his witnesses, to speak truth, to point people to Christ, to give hope in a world that is is seemingly hopeless, where everyone's asking a question, why this and why that and what's next? And you have the answer. And you've been empowered by the Spirit of God. Friends, Scripture says that God orders the steps of those who delight in his ways. Psalm 37. Hear that. God orders the steps of those who delight in his ways. God is involved with the details, with the specifics of your life. And friends, if we believe that, if we believe that God is involved with the details and the specifics, then maybe we need to be a little bit more upfront about the way that we follow Jesus and the way that we engage others as it concerns Jesus. So the cargo ship that they're sailing on, ports in Tyre. And there they spend seven days. Now, Sidon and Tyre uh, were uh, primarily Gentile areas. This was in a, these were major cities in the region of Phoenicia, which was north of Judea along the Mediterranean coast, right? Jesus had some interaction with these areas, though he primarily didn't leave uh, the Jewish area. So he would go to the outskirts of Sire and Tyre, of Tyre and Sidon, excuse me, and he would, he met with a person there, a Canaanite woman, she's known as the Syrophoenician woman, who asked for help, and Jesus says, oh, don't you know that the food is for the children? And you'll recall that she responds, he says, but even the dogs get some of the crumbs from the table. It's a hard, hard saying, difficult to think through that conversation, but essentially what Jesus is saying is the gospel is first for the Jews. But then it goes to the Gentiles. And that's evidently what had taken place. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. That's what the book of Acts is telling us, right? In, in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel had made it to this region. And there were disciples living there. So Paul and Luke and perhaps whoever else is with them, they stay for a week and they're loving and they're serving and they're encouraging others in Jesus's name. Now consider this. They're there for a week. We're told they're there for seven days. But it seems that there was an incredible bond already made there. That's what verse five is all about, right? They were loving one another when it was time to leave. They, they all went out to the, be the beach, the wives and the children, and they're praying together. And there's this connection point. There is this love that is there. They didn't want Paul to leave. And here's the truth, friends. The gospel allows for deep relational connections. 
The gospel allows for deep relational connections for those who want them, for those who pursue them. Now, let me just make this very clear. We all should want them, and we all should pursue them. The fact that we don't have deep relational connections is not the fault of the gospel. It's because of us, because we don't pursue, because we don't seek out after such things. Friends, there's no indication that there was a previous relationship between Paul and Luke and whoever was with their party and the disciples there in this region. In fact, the end of verse 4 says they were searching there. They went to go look for the disciples. They didn't even know exactly where the church was meeting at the time, but even still, in a week's time, they're tight. They're close. Perhaps you've experienced that. Perhaps you've been on a mission trip somewhere, maybe an international trip, and you've connected, right? You've, you've loved, you've served, you've given of yourself, you've, you've, um, you've sacrificed, you've expent yourself relationally, and you've connected with people, and you have these bonds now. How many of you have been on an international mission trip before? Raise your hand, okay. How many of you can say, I have relationship with people still from those trips? I still, uh, almost all of you are raising your hand who have been on an international trip. Why? Because you go and you love and you realize that, yo, we live, we live thousands of miles apart in a, in a different country, in a different culture, but yet we share in common Christ. We share in common a unity that goes way beyond any surface level thing. And you've loved and you've appreciated and they've loved and appreciated and you're connected in the spirit of God. Now, friends, let me say this. It is a great thing to go on an international mission trip. It's a wonderful thing. And it's a great thing to connect with people overseas and to have these close connections and relationships still. But how much more so is it necessary that we have that right here where we live? Because we're in Christ and we share a common purpose, and we share a common nature in Christ, saved by the blood of Christ, and we're going in the same direction. So right here we love, and right here we serve, and right here we give, and right here we support, and right here we challenge one another to love and good deeds, and right here we challenge one another to righteousness. And friends, if we don't have that, then we're missing out. If we don't have that, then we're not living the Christian life to the fullest because in Christ we are connected and in Christ there is relationship and in Christ we love each other and we help one another walk in truth and we help one another see and fully embrace the, the truths of the gospel and the joys of the gospel even when life's tough. And even when we can't see it. Notice at the end of verse 4. Paul tells us that they were in the spirit telling Paul not to go. Now we need to give a little attention to this. Not to go to Jerusalem. We need to give a little attention to this. Because it might be that, wait a minute. Is the spirit telling Paul one thing, but then telling all, everyone else something different? Like, is the Spirit of God saying, Paul, go to Jerusalem, but then the Spirit of God is telling all these people to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Well, no, that's, that's not how the Spirit works. There's no contradiction here. Most scholars believe what's happening here is the Spirit of God is showing, in some way, the people what awaits Paul when he goes. And they don't want Paul to go through that. 
They don't want Paul to go through the difficulty of what is to come. Paul, don't go. Paul, we don't want that for you. you just, just stay here a little bit longer. Or maybe go back to Asia or, or do something different. But don't go to Jerusalem because, because we see what's happening. We see what's going to happen. And, and it's not good for you, Paul. We don't want that, Paul. But Paul wasn't deterred, was he? After one more stop, the missionaries make it to Caesarea where Paul stays with Philip the evangelist. We first learned of Philip in Acts chapter 6 when he's elected as one of the deacons, the seven deacons. Acts chapter 8 tells us of Philip's ministry with the Ethiopian eunuch and then his ministry in Samaria and all the way up the coast of the Mediterranean to Caesarea, which is where Paul and his friends are staying with him right now. We learn he has four unmarried daughters who are prophetesses. They're, they're prophesying. And it's here that we're reintroduced to a man named Agabus, who is a prophet, who in chapter 11 um, foretold of a famine that was going to come over the land. And here the Spirit gives Agabus another vision. So Agabus takes the belt of Paul and ties himself up, binds him, and says, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt. The Jews, the leader of the Jews, are going to take this man, they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. So what do they all say? Well, don't go, Paul. Don't go. We don't want you to go. There's only trouble there. It's not going to be good for you there, Paul. Don't do it, Paul. Just stay here, Paul. And that's when we see what Paul has to say in response to that. Look at verse 12, if you will. When we heard this, that is the... The prophecy. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. That, that verb urge there is a strong verb. We urged him, don't go. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Don't, don't see this as some kind of a stoic chiding of the people. Paul saying, hey, what are you doing doing this? No, there's a lot of emotion here. What are you doing? Breaking my heart. There's a, there's a lot of emotion involved in this. Probably beating on his chest. Why are you doing this? How could Paul not be moved with emotion when all these people are sharing their love and encouragement, but even still, Paul would not be Dissuaded. And friends, let's just be honest. It would have been really easy for Paul to talk himself out of it. It would have been really easy to Paul, for Paul to think, well, maybe I heard wrong. You know, all these people, they all love me. They all care for me. They don't want me to go. Maybe, maybe I listened to the Spirit wrong. Maybe I heard the Spirit wrong. Maybe I didn't really follow what God wants. Maybe I need to reconsider my whole plan here. Maybe I'm really not supposed to collect this offering. Maybe I'm really not supposed to go to Jerusalem. Maybe I'm really not supposed to deliver this offering to the church there that's impoverished. Maybe all that was wrong. It, he could have been easy to do that, but he didn't. Why? Because he was convinced. Because he was convinced. Even if every other voice seemed to be saying otherwise, what mattered most to Paul was God's will and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Church, let God's voice be the loudest in your life. Let God's voice be the loudest in your life because there will be distractions. 
there will be distractions. Now, some of the voices may mean well. All of these people who were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, they all loved him. They all want what was best for him in their own wisdom. They wanted what was best for him. They didn't want to see him suffering. They didn't want to see him in prison or turned over to the, to the Gentiles. They didn't want that for him, but they were wrong. To listen to those voices would have been to go against what Paul was convinced God was leading him to do. Of course, in our world, most of the voices that we will hear will be distractions that don't want what's best for us, that certainly don't want what God wants for us. These voices will say, hey, just keep quiet. I mean, your faith is a private thing. You don't really need to talk about it. It, No one really cares anyway. Don't rock the boat. Just wait for a more opportune time. I mean, it's sure to come. Or they may say, hey, hey, you know what? Your church really isn't that important. I mean, you know, you've been to church a lot in your life and it's really not that important. Plus, you know, you know, your kids will love you a lot more if you'll just take them to do all these other things on Sundays and every other week. And your kids will, they'll know you, they love you if you just do those things. Church, church, it's really not that important. They'll say it really doesn't matter if you actually read your Bible today because you know what? You've probably read that same parable 30 times before. So if you don't read it today, it's probably not a big deal. Doesn't really make a difference if you read your Bible. You've heard that before. You, you, you've already done that. You, you know these things already. It doesn't really matter. And there's, by the way, there's always tomorrow. We can just do it tomorrow, right? Or the voices might say, hey, God's gonna forgive you. you know, he's a God of love and grace. And, and it, it doesn't really matter if you do that because there's always gonna be forgiveness. And one more little look-see, it's, it's okay because God's gonna forgive you. It, it, you know, he's gonna forgive you. These are the voices that speak to us throughout the day. These are the voices that move against us. These are the voices that say, hey, look, in Christ, you're free. You've been set free. You can do what you want. It doesn't really matter. Just, you have freedom. Just live it up. You're under grace. There's the voices that say, look, God doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want difficulty and pain in your life. Jesus died on the cross for you, so you don't have to have pain and suffering in your life. Don't go that direction, Paul. These are the voices, but whose voice will we listen to? Whose voice will be loudest in our lives? And if we're honest, sometimes it's actually our own voices that we hear, trying to convince ourselves that there's just a different, easier way. But oh, that we would listen to God's voice, that we would follow God's will that we would prioritize his ways and not our own. Even in the face of difficulty, even when it's hard, even when everyone else is doing the same thing, even when everyone else is keeping quiet, even when everyone else is going along with the godlessness of our own culture, even when everyone else seems to have everything that this world has to offer and we don't. Whose voice will you listen to? Whose voice will be loudest and most significant in your life. Friends, that's when we are most like Jesus, when we deny ourselves, when we carry our cross, and when we follow him. See, for Paul to say, I'm willing to be imprisoned or even to die for the name of Jesus wasn't a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal. Why? Because he says, for me to die is gain, And to live is 
Christ. That's where his hope was. That's where his priority was. Because of God's great grace and love, he was willing to be in prison and even die for the name of Jesus. And friends, are we willing to be inconvenienced for the name of Jesus? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for the name of Jesus? And I could drive this point home in a lot of different ways. But what I want us to do is transition into a time of reflecting on Scripture. So as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, there's gonna be some passages that are gonna come up on the screen here in a few moments. And I want you, as you look at these passages, they'll be on there for about 45 seconds total. I want you to consider what God is calling you to be. What God is calling you to do in light of his great Love, right? To consider the sacrifice of Jesus who gave his all for you. To consider the love of Jesus whose devotion to the Father led him to the cross for you. To consider God's love and God's grace in your life. To consider the one who said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Now, this morning as you came in, you had opportunity to grab the elements of the Lord's Supper. If you did not happen to grab the elements of the Lord's Supper and you would like to partake of the Lord's Supper with us here in a few minutes, I need you to raise your hand now. We have some deacons here who will find you and they will bring you uh, elements of the Lord's Supper. So in a few moments, we're gonna have some quiet reflection and then I will close that out with prayer and then leading us through Lord's Supper together. But I need to say this. If you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not part of his church, if you are not in him through faith, then we ask you not to partake of the Lord's Supper with us, for this is an ordinance of the church, of those who have been bought by the blood of Christ and who are living and following him. So as we partake, if you are not in Christ, please don't partake along with us. Okay, the scripture going to come on the screen. Casey's going to play softly. We're just going to we're going to just reflect on these passages, and then we'll do Lord's Supper together here in a few moments.
pray with me. Lord, we bow our hearts in worship because you are worthy. You're the perfect one, the author of life, the king of kings. You humbled yourself. You took on the form of a servant and you went to the cross in order to reconcile sinners to God. So we bow our wills in submission because you have loved us so greatly. We owe you everything. And there's no way to fully express our gratitude, but by your grace, Lord, transform us until we live fully for your glory. May your will be done in our lives. Amen. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The body of Jesus broken for you. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that removes the stain and the shame of sin. The blood that washes away our sin and purifies us from all unrighteousness. gracious God. Be gracious as we worship you. In Jesus' name.